the nature of your business sets a kind of a limit of how fast you can convert your marketing activity into like real money, at least in B2B. It's different when kind of in, in, in B2C where kind of the, you're in control of what the consumer does a lot more. Welcome to the B2B Lead Gen Podcast, your weekly audio masterclass on converting leads to revenue. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman, author of The Digital Pivot. Let's do this. Welcome. My guest today is Stefan Hedebrandt. He is the Chief Revenue Officer at DreamData.io. Um, he has a lot of experience building customer journeys, mapping customer journeys, measuring customer journeys. His company, uh, Dream Data, is actually a platform for measuring customer attribution, but don't worry, we're not going to give you a hard sell. I'm going to ask him all sorts of questions about revenue attribution models, how to make it work, what are they. We're going to start at the top, so don't feel like you got to be a, a hardcore geek to understand what he's going to say, uh, because he's going to break it down for you and make it real easy to understand. Um, so we're, what we're talking about in this podcast today is this concept of revenue attribution, the idea that you'd somehow be able to see how much money you make through the different channels uh, you're active in, in, in digital marketing. Um, I'm sure, uh, since it's what he does for a living, he can explain it much better than me. So, uh, you know, Stefan, in digital marketing, what is revenue attribution? Oh, yeah. First of all, thanks for the, the invite to the show, Eric. I'm really happy to be here <laughs> all the way from across opposite side of the world. Um, I'm, in, I'm in Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, so uh, if we just start very like from the top, uh, attribution, as you can call the discipline we're in here, uh, it's about understanding uh, or it's it's the search for an equation that you can kind of repeat. So if you do A, B, and C, you can expect revenue to come out of it. So the reason why I find attribution so interesting is that I, I constantly want to find ways to kind of grow the businesses um, involved in. So if I understand which path uh, the customers took towards uh, signing a deal with us, I can hopefully repeat it and uh, get a lot more customers to start that journey. So that, I think that's kind of <laughs> the, the very overall introduction to why I think attribution is such an interesting discipline. It's kind of the, the holy grail of marketing to be able to ex explain, I did this and then this happened, this happened, this happened, and we made money. That's kind of, that's my starting point for the uh, interest in this, uh, in this topic. So, you know, a lot of people from outside of digital marketing, when you say digital marketing, they think of social media, or maybe people who are a little bit more familiar might think of search engine optimization, right? So, so let's talk about um, first organic search marketing from a B2B standpoint. If the wolf's at the door and you need deal flow fast, yeah. can search marketing support that goal? Yeah, 100%. Uh, so by search marketing, you mean like uh, Google Ads? Uh, sure. Or do, Let's start there, and then we'll talk about uh, search engine optimization. 
Yes, yeah. So there's just those two. There's one where you have to pay Google a dollar every time, and then there's the one where people find you organically. Um, the good thing about Google search is that, or for certain types of businesses, it can be an incredibly good uh, channel because there's uh, typically a search behavior associated with it. So, say for example. Uh, in, in at Dream Data, for example, we do a B2B attribution. So if somebody writes B2B attribution tool inside of Google search, um, then it's very likely that the intent of that search is related to buying a product like ours. So, or if you're selling a pair of running shoes, if somebody Googles uh, white Nike running shoe, then it would be pretty nice to buy that click to your uh, web shop because you know that the intent behind the search is so strongly correlating to to making more money does that make sense let's talk about keyword intent for a bit here um what do marketers need to know about keyword what is keyword intent and what do marketers need to know about it uh, it's good yeah just ask me all the, those kind of questions here guys sometimes i get um, get a little bit too down far down the rabbit hole right away but intent by what I mean by that is the like intent to complete a purchase by whatever you search for. So if you search, if you do the running, running shoe <laughs> example, then if you search just for running shoe, you may be trying to find the history of what is a running shoe and how did like, was it Nike who invented it or whatever. But if you write, uh, I think there's a running shoe called Nike Pegasus uh, blue size nine, then that intent behind that search versus just searching for a running shoe looks like somebody who's wanting to acquire that product. So, there are certain types of searches that are very broad that is probably not correlating with somebody who is looking to buy your uh, buy a product. And the, like at least the marketing school I come from, uh, marketing is about making money. So you want to be addressing those kind of search behaviors that looks like somebody who's in the market for buying whatever you're selling. When, when you think about um, keyword intent, uh, you, you feel as though branded keywords are typically higher purchase intent than unbranded keywords? Um, I think overall I can uh, reply yes to that. Um, for example, like if somebody writes dream data, we're pretty unknown for most people, but if you actually know about our company and put it into that search engine, then you're really, really looking for our company. Hence the intent will be really really high but that's not really search engine optimization because google gives you that one for free yeah 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 absolutely so so if you're measuring if you're if you're saying um hey we want to start coming up uh in search results for people who are looking to solve problems that our product can solve yeah um but they don't know about us um is that a long game or, or do those types of, can those types of leads actually convert quickly? So this I think is very uh, sort of, let me break it down in two uh, buckets. So there's this uh, Google search ads, which you can pay to get on top of the, the search result. And then there's Google organic, which is the non ad search. That is the first one to be represented there. 
typically that's what people that's what people refer to in Google Analytics when they look at organic traffic. Um, that can take a long time for it to go through the ranks of, of Google when you publish a new page and Google needs to index it and you probably need a few links pointing toward that page to, to move it upwards. Um, so that's kind of the behavior in uh, Google. Then it's also about what's your typical uh, customer journey inside of your company. Because for example, at Dream Data, an average purchase takes like three months or something like that. So when I buy that click, it's going to be three months before the client is going to sign the, uh, the contract. So the, and what I'm trying to say is that the nature of your business sets a kind of a limit of how fast you can convert your marketing activity into like real money, at least in B2B. It's different when kind of in, in, in B2C where kind of the, you're in control of what the consumer does a lot more. I know you do a lot of work in um, SaaS, software as a service. That's yeah. kind of a sweet spot for you guys at Dream Data. Yeah. Um, so in terms of a, of a SaaS company, I don't know, let's talk about like a SaaS company. They, they just got their Series A round closed. You know, they've got a board of, of investors. They want results and they want results fast. Yeah. Um, what are going to be the quickest ways for them to start generating revenue? Uh, how broadly are we speaking here? Are we speaking marketing tactics or just uh, anything? Yeah. Any, or let's just, let's say anything. Like if, if they bring you in, yeah. you're no longer CRO of Dream Data. Now that you're, yeah. you're at this company and uh, they say, hey, we need fast action. Which yeah. channels? if we devote resources to them, mm -hmm. are going to result in revenue quickest. Are there any generalizations you can make? Or could you just sort of think out loud about the questions you'd ask or how the yeah. rubric you'd use to figure out which way to go? Yeah, uh, so the, there's two tactics that comes to mind. Uh, one is just like good old school cold calling based out of a really like a thorough work on What's your ideal customer? Knowing who is the best fit for uh, whatever your product does. So, for example, at Dream Data, we say it's like B2B software as a service companies that are between 50 and 500 employees, preferably funded companies. And then you need to speak, speak to the VP marketing in these companies or the marketing director, that, that sort of person. And then you can actually just like, pick up the phone, call them, start pitching and see if they want to have a meeting with you. That can be a very fast tactic to convert people into meetings that then can convert into money. The other thing is trying to capture uh, the highest intent you can find around the internet. That would typically be like very, uh, very specific Google searches for whatever industry you're in. It can also be paying for traffic from uh, review platforms. There's a review platform called Captera. There's a review platform called G2. Uh, because the people who have gone that far down the funnel and actually are reading reviews, comparing different services to each other, they are very far in their decision-making journey. So, so paying for a click from these places means that the buyer has already done a lot of research to 
to make a decision on which product to to purchase so that's kind of the like top of mind the fastest way to to impact your revenue or like to build pipeline but you know there's a thousand other tactics and this was just a really <laughs> generic example talk to us about the difference between anonymous versus authenticated user tracking because you know obviously every, everyone you see in google analytics is anonymous but you know if you're in another platform that we can talk about in a moment um, you know, you can actually measure a specific user's activity and yeah. map their journey um, to becoming a customer or not. Um, so talk to us about the differences between anonymous and authenticated user tracking. Yes, I think this is, a, this is something that is kind of an understanding that is gaining momentum nowadays on the internet. Um, if you do a little bit of Google Analytics history, uh, Google Analytics, which is like, you know, the analytics tool 99% of everybody uses, and it's, it's a nice tool. Google Analytics is actually reporting on individual devices. It's not reporting on Eric or Stefan, it's reporting on uh, the computer I'm sitting at. Is, so a returning visitor is actually a device that is returning back on your website. But since Google Analytics was built, I think we went from having one device per person uh, connected to the internet to maybe three, four, five devices per person connected to the internet. And this is a problem if you want to be very uh, data-driven in, in your actions because Google Analytics starts to become a little bit limited in its ability to, to describe what's going on. Like nowadays, like a consumer would probably, like buying a pair of running shoes, maybe you sit on, sit, sit on the phone initially doing a little bit of research, then you go move to your couch and sit with your iPad, and then the day after when you've decided what you wanna buy, then you open up your computer and then you purchase the product. That would look in Google Analytics like three different people doing something. Whereas actually it's the same journey that those three devices are part of. Now, if you wanted to, what, yeah, when the purchase then happens, the, the person who is buying your product is probably just typing in your website's URL into the browser and hit enter. That's gonna look like somebody who came uh, directly into your website and bought your product. It's nice that you sell something, but from a stimulating demand, growing your pipeline, your revenue, you, you, have, you don't have any indication of where the journey actually started. And to get more customers, you, know, you need to know kind of where journey starts. So this is some of the problems about only looking at anonymous devices. Now there's a rise of... Uh, a technology called customer data platforms, which enables you to say, look, Eric, he has this email. We can see this email is being used both on this computer and on this phone. So whenever we see one of those two devices, it's still Eric doing both of them. And this will enable you to go back and if the purchase happened on the computer, but actually was started on the phone, you'll be able to track back to what were the kind of marketing activities that, that got Eric on his phone uh, starting to do that research? Does that make sense, Eric? Let me ask you another question. 
Yeah. If I had a stack that um, had a WordPress site and maybe I have a chat bot on there uh, where I'm taking in customer information and uh, maybe I use the pop-ups and maybe I have forms that mm. feed into a CRM. Yeah. And the CRM also um, has a tracking code published mm. to my WordPress site. Yeah. And that's telling me, you know, length, length of visit, first page yeah. visited, where they came from. Um, and I'm sort of home running. And let's say I'm using uh, a email marketing platform that's integrated with my CRM. So I yeah. can home run that data to the customer record in my CRM as well. Yeah. What would the advantage of having a customer data platform be over just home running all that data into my CRM on my customer card? Um, so that's a good question. Um, I think essentially, uh, so I'm not, maybe if you're really good with the data and CRMs, you can actually make that work. Uh, I'm not like a hundred percent sure you, you wouldn't be able to do that, but let me try to think this through. Um, because there, obviously there must be a use case for customer data platforms over and above what the CRMs can do, or people wouldn't be using them. Yeah, so I think I'm just confusing a few. Um, it's the it's the ability to to, to join uh, several different devices into one identity or to one person. So let's say in this example, you what we typically see is that when you like what you're talking about is what probably you could call a single touch uh, world where kind of. The last thing that happened before somebody signed up to something and then um, becoming a customer ending up in the uh, CRM. Uh, that would, in the example I gave, that would be somebody who came directly to the website and then converted into an email of some sort. But what typically takes place is that there's uh, multiple sessions involved in buyer's journeys. Not a lot of people buy, particularly a software, software product, the first time they come to the website. It takes multiple visits. They're probably also buying as a team. So the guy who needs the product has a boss, and that boss has a procurement manager. And then suddenly there's three or four or five people involved uh, from that company. So just tracking what the one user is doing with his one device that signs up to an email becomes a very scattered image of what's what's going on. I don't know if that hit the point there. Yeah, um, let's let's talk a little bit more about Google Analytics. I think it would be helpful because I know a lot of our listeners are Google Analytics users and probably dream of someday having something as cool as a customer data platform, but maybe aren't there yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so from a Google Analytics standpoint, you know, you've got these different sources of traffic that are recorded. That's kind of, you know, how they break it up, right? There's paid, there's organic, there's referral traffic, there's social traffic, there's email. And then yeah, there's yeah. this category they call direct. <laughs> yeah. What is direct? Uh, so direct is everybody who... Uh, either types in the address of your website and just hit center 
that could be a one way to go into the direct market because you can search in the you can search in the address bar so yeah, yeah like and also like typing it google finishes mm -hmm. it for you and then it's not direct yeah it could also be like you just want to go to amazon.com because you know that brand so you don't have to so you don't want to do anything else it could also be that uh, that uh, you will lose the tracking information on on its way to your website meaning that the UTMs are dropped as the user clicks. That typically happens in, uh, like if you send a newsletter on an email to your customers, a lot of the email providers doesn't automatically glue a UTM to the click. So it looks like somebody who just came directly to a website that was actually triggered by an email campaign that you ran. So it's every visit that comes to your website without no information about where it's coming from. So and, and they're kind of yeah, just to finish that off, you can say if you sell something, it's still nice because you can pay your salary for another month. But the whole problem about not knowing where sales comes from is that it, it gets hard to repeat. And we want to have repeatable stuff. We want to have predictable stuff when we do business because that's how we know we can pay salary the next month as well. So I, I, I'm trying to update my knowledge here because I, I want to say 10 years ago, it's probably 10 years ago that I had um, Justin Catroni, who at yeah. the time was not working for Google, but now who's one of the you know major guys at Google Analytics uh, on this program. And yeah. he said, direct means unknown. Direct yeah. means we don't know what the hell it is. And so yeah. we it in the direct category is that still the case yeah i think i i think that's pretty much what i <laughs> i tried to explain at least that yeah. it's somebody who arrives to the website without information about where the person was coming from is there a way to minimize your directs yes so that's being very disciplined about always ensuring that anybody you send to your website has information about where they're coming from uh, most of the ad platforms do this out of the box where they say, now I'm sending this guy to your website, but I'm also sending information about what was the campaign ID there and you like the channel that it came from. Um, when you're sending a newsletter, as, as the example I gave before, you need to make sure that if the link is clicked, they're not just arriving at ericswebsite.com, they're arri arriving at ericswebsite.com. <laughs> dash some kind of UTM that indicates what where's this traffic coming from. And UTM stands for universal tracking. Oh, I'm not even sure, man. Uh, but but I know that if you search campaign builder on yeah. Google yes. website, uh, UTM builder uh, set up a UTM code on a URL. Yeah. The thing is, you know, it's so much extra work to have to do that manually for every link in every blog post, yeah. every guest post that you put out there, every email that you put out there. Do, um, and it's, I know the, the advertising on the paid side, the platforms do have it built in, but a lot of yeah, times yeah. on the organic side, they don't. Hmm. Do you have a way of dealing with this? How do you, do you do it manually? How do you handle it? So, it depends on your business whether it's important or not so kind of for some businesses you know you can live fine without uh but if you want to be like really really data driven and really try to make decisions out of what is 
the data actually telling you, you you should do next, then you really need to track uh, to have as little direct traffic as possible and more tra traffic sorted into these buckets of organic, social, referral, etc. Um, so it's kind of you know if you're selling through word of mouth, if you're selling like consultancy services, etc. It's not necessarily important, but some more some more of these the modern tools out there, they are actually like automation marketing, email automation platforms are also adding this tracking out of the box as well. So say you're acquiring a new piece of software for your the commercial side of your business, I would just be asking the vendors, like, how can you support me understand what's going on? How do you track activity, whether my customers will be using this product, etc. You, you know, it's kind of a, like if you know, it's a commitment to track as much as possible. So also another example, a uh, little bit different. If your salespeople are just cowboys sitting with their own phone, calling phone numbers, then they also leave no trace of what they're actually doing. You could ask them to move into like a piece of calling uh, software technology. So every time they hit dial, some note is taken sure. that you, you called this account uh, and you spoke for this long. So. It's a little bit of a, like committing to a behavior that leaves traces in order for you to know what kind of seemed to, to grow your business. I don't know if it makes sense. In terms of Google Analytics, are there any sort of modifications that you always make out of the box to you know get it working better? Is there any sort of like what what are the what are the big shortcomings and are there any ways that you generally you know try to minimize them when you're setting up GA? Oh, yeah. I'm not the. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I think what you should be aware about uh, with GA is that if your customer journeys, the this, the time it takes to make the decision around your product is very short, then GA can actually explain you pretty well what's going on. If you're in this scenario where it's multiple people uh, that takes. Six, six to 12 months on making a decision on whether to buy your product, then GA is becoming uh, very limited. So I think my first recommendation would be to consider the sales uh, cycle of whatever you sell. If it's very long and complex, GA becomes more scattered in the information that it can give you. If you're selling something you can make a decision upon quite fast, then GA can be good. And then Next advice would just be to make sure that all the traffic that ends on your website actually has information about where it comes from. And in, in internet terms, that is setting those uh, UTMs so they can tell you after the fact where, where the traffic came from. <laughs> I don't think there's any way around it, Eric. To <laughs> Almost 10 years ago, they introduced something called uh, multi-channel funnels. Yes, which uh, you know tries to tell you the path that a customer took. The problem is, of course, you know the frustration is direct because um, it's one thing to look at last click attribution, meaning um, last click means what was the last thing they clicked on before they bought something. You can look at that and you can say, well, this much money came from search, this much came from email, this much came from referral, this much came from social. 
knowing, of course, that it may not have been the only thing they clicked on. They could have clicked 30 or 40 times before mm. that last mm. click got the conversion. Yeah. The problem is when you look at the uh, top conversion paths, mm. which is also a default view in Google Analytics. You yeah, see looking at it now. <laughs> Yeah, And so, of course, direct is the wild card. The minute you see direct in the path, the path is useless. You can't, it's, you don't know anything. Mm -hmm. um, so I always take direct off the table and uh -huh. redo my percentages so I know where the money's coming from. But in terms of paths, it's always a frustration. How could a customer uh, data platform change that? So... Yeah, so I'm just trying to think what I should speak of inside of uh, Google Analytics or outside because as you can say, there's very little of the traffic that uh, in reality will be completely direct. If you're able to understand the full journey of like, let's say you visited Dream Data's website six times, then the first visit will probably be maybe you clicked an email, uh, you came from an ad, uh, we chatted on LinkedIn. So the first touch would be one of those. Then because we've identified you and we know who you are, then we, the next time you come to our website directly, we know that you're not just somebody who came directly. We know that you're actually Eric that came two days ago. So every direct visit will actually be uh, pointing towards you as a person. So you would know that the, Eric's journey actually started back when he came from that LinkedIn ad. And then the three next visits on that where he stared directly is uh, actually coming from that LinkedIn ad initially. What, so when you take all data into, um, into your platform for, for customers, obviously, you know, the, the um, attribution you get, you can return is only as good as the data that goes in. Yeah, 100%. You know, one of the things I see a lot with email marketing platforms, particularly uh, lately with um, uh, um, cybersecurity uh, on the, you know, or cyber insecurity, hacking on the rise, yeah. um, is, you know, you get a lot of false positives in email marketing platforms yeah. where, you know, the, the corporate so email many now. Yeah. pulling it in and analyzing it before it distributes it to the client. Yes. And so that looks like an open, it looks like a quick, you think you got this super user at Microsoft. No, he's, he's just got really good security. Yeah. You know? So ha have you seen that? And, is, and what platforms are doing a good job to measure that nowadays? How, how do you get accurate info around email? So I think, uh, I think most of the platform actually work quite nicely still, but you're, I think you're completely right that the, open rate is the most flawed metric now because of the things you just said. I see we, like, we use HubSpot when we send emails uh, at our company and we can see like the moment I sent the email, the, it looks like the user opens the email. <laughs> and it's like when you send that to a hundred different people, not all of those 100 is just sitting there waiting from an, for an email from me. So I think that metric of the open rate is incredibly flawed nowadays. The metrics of people who clicks inside of the email, people who reply to email, et cetera, those I, I at least consider to be okay, legit uh, still. But the, the open rate one is, uh, don't celebrate that somebody, as you said, looks like he's opening it immediately. 
Yeah. You pre- like nowadays, you actually need to see the email being opened two times before you can actually trust that it's been opened. Uh, pro tip, if you want to sort of debunk uh, your super users, send a 3 a.m. campaign and see if they if <laughs> And that's yeah. really a good way to see, you know, what's going on. Um, so let's talk about this idea of multi-touch revenue attribution. What is that? What's multi-touch revenue attribution? So if we start by the multi-touch, that's kind of the journey that we talked about before, that somebody comes firstly on a phone, next time you see him is on his computer, next time it's on his iPad. You want to be able to understand who this user is and you want to understand like if he has, if he needs to go to your website five times before he buys, then you need to know that that's actually part of the same journey. Instead of look it, in Google Analytics, it could look like five different people coming to your website. So it's a matter of actually understanding the full journey in the context of what's actually going on instead of it looking like five different events. And so, then, so, yeah, so the, the last thing would just yep. be when we speak about revenue uh, attribution, we deliberately do it as opposed to talking about uh, marketing attribution uh, because like we're in B2B and, you know, clients doesn't sign six digit uh, contracts out of a click on a Facebook ad or a Google ad. They're doing it as a result of like a team effort in your company. You ran some marketing campaigns, you got the attention of the customer. Now sales are talking with them. Now customer success are replying FAQs. And you wanna take all those touches that are generated across the whole company and then do attribution to them because only when you understand all the touches that the account has, you actually can understand that the true journey and at least now we'll make meaningful decisions on because you can only as a company you can only spend your dollar once and if you can get more money by hiring a customer success rep more than buying 10 clicks on google then you should probably hire that we're we're trying to say holistically you only have a certain amount of money available and you want to invest them where you see the biggest return on investment so so we're talking sort of indirectly about revenue attribution models this idea that you know someone there'd be a first click there'd be a series of clicks and then there'd be a last click or interaction or uh, some way that uh, you touch the interact with the customer before the sale occurs and i know you've given a lot of thought to different revenue attribution models yeah. So talk us through kind of think out loud for us in terms of how you how do you decide which revenue attribution model works for which types of company? Yeah, uh, good. Uh, so I think the first point here again is that all attribution models are wrong because none of them are going <laughs> to be able to explain you 100% of what's going on. So it's you can say it's a statistical method to support your decision making because the decisions you can make is only as good as the data available uh, for the models. But say you sold something for $1,000 and you have a less touch model, even though the journey is 10 steps, Given the last touch model, you give 100% of the last click on that 10-step journey, saying that that was worth all the $1,000. Is that fair? Hmm, probably not. Uh, but 
it's at least what that attribution model is saying. Then the opposite of that is saying that you could use a first touch model, which is assigning all of the $1,000 to the very first click out of the 10 clicks. That would probably be just as unfair, uh, but it would at least give you an indication of where uh, did the journey start. And then there's all sorts of other models. There's a model where you call it a linear model where you say, let's give, give equal credit to all the touches we know of this buyer journey. So if there's 10 touches and you have a $1,000 deal, then you give $100 to each of the touches. And the reason why you're trying to do this uh, exercise of finding out or attributing money to each of those steps is to find out where is the good return on investment, really. I, I have a, um, a multi-channel funnel question. I'm not sure if you can answer it, <laughs> um, but I'll ask it anyways. Um, you know, sometimes when I look at uh, top conversion channels, or no, top conversion paths, yeah. Um, you know, it, sometimes I see that uh, a channel has a higher assisted value than attrib attributed value. How could that be? How could a channel uh, contribute more as an assist than as, as, as a last click? So I'm not too familiar with uh, Google Analytics, to be, <laughs> to be honest. So Fair I enough. might have to pass on uh, how this is. I didn't mean to say, yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's just because we, we have our own tools. So I'm not uh, spending my days in Google Analytics now uh, anymore. Yeah. So look, I know it's tough to generalize, but based on your experience as a chief revenue officer, yeah. which leads generate more revenue? Inbound leads or outbound leads? <laughs> um, Go-to or leads that come to you? So in theory, it should be the outbound leads that bring the most revenue because you decide who you call as opposed to you cannot decide who's searching for attribution tool. But I can decide that I'm only going after companies that are of a certain size. So I know if I book a meeting with this company, the deal size is also very likely to be X. Does that make sense? Yeah. In so, theory, at least. <laughs> so uh, I want to give you, uh, I think we're, We've had a great conversation. I appreciate you taking the time. I want to give you a second to tell us about uh, your platform. Okay. Uh, thank you, Eric. Um, so essentially, we help B2B companies understand their customer journeys. And the way that we do that is that we built a uh, cloud database on behalf of these companies that plugs into every uh, tool that touches the customer journey. In a B2B company, that's typically a CRM system. It's a marketing automation system. It's a custom success tool. Maybe they have a calling software, a webinar platform, etc. We pull over all uh, of the data being generated in, in each of these silos. And then we clean the data up and organize it, uh, all the touches by users that belongs to accounts. So you get to see kind of when did we see a person the very first time on this account? How long does it take for them to become a sales qualified lead? How long does it take to close the journey, et cetera? 
and so in this, in essence, we we help B two B companies with multi touch uh, attribution. You can say. If you're uh, profiling your ideal customer uh, uh, target, are you um, more interested in best of breed stacks or are vertically integrated uh, stacks just as lucrative an opportunity for you? So the best fit clients for us is clients that has a lot of tools because that's where the, the customer journey gets more scattered. So let's say you use HubSpot and you use HubSpot for marketing, for customer success and for sales, then all of the data lives inside the same ecosystem. But if you use HubSpot for marketing, uh, Sendesk for support, and then you use Salesforce for your salespeople, then data on the account starts to live in different silos. And that's a good fit for us because then we can pull it out of the silos and give you a nice clean understanding of what's actually going on. But Salesforce, can Salesforce invoice a client? Does Salesforce have financial accounting software? Uh, no. Uh, what so would I would you think, that for? I would think every, every HubSpot, I'm sorry, I meant to say HubSpot. Does every HubSpot, HubSpot has no accounting software. So what? how would you get the revenue side in HubSpot if you don't have the accounting? So, uh, uh, HubSpot actually has a complete CRM inside of it as well. Can you invoice? No, you don't invoice there, but we, we take the, sorry, I hadn't specified that, but we take the amount that you said on the deal in the when you move it to close to one. Uh, so it's, yeah, so it's not Projected money. revenue, it's not yes, actual revenue. Exactly. We can, though, like through other mechanisms, pull in what have you actually received in dollar value, but we take the amount move to the closed one and then attribute it back to the different uh, touches. Got it. Okay. Um, <laughs> good cool. good nu- nuance. And, and if, if someone wants to check out your platform, what's the best way for them to do that? That's uh, dreamdata.io. And uh, there's even a free tier. So people can just go in and give it a, a try. Uh, we only uh, work for B2B companies. Um, so I'm sorry if you're like you're in a B2C scenario, then we can't uh, help you out. And then like, just you know, find me on LinkedIn. I'll be happy to reply any kind of questions that might uh, have popped up during the show. Often, awesome. Uh, Stefan Hedebrandt, CRO for Dream Data. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Eric. It was a really big pleasure. To master B2B lead generation, you can listen to the first chapter of my new book, The Digital Pivot, for free at digitalpivotbook.com.